One Track Run Talk podcast. Bringing the forefront of science and elite sport to you. Hi there guys, my name is Fletch, I'm one of the coaches here at OneTrack and this is the OneTrack Run Talk podcast. I'm going to be joined by co-host today, Stephanie Twell, Olympian extraordinaire, and we are going to be interviewing Ellis Cross. Ellis Cross recently got thrust into the media by beating Mo Farah at the Vitality 10k in London. So we get into the nuts and bolts of the race, what happened, how did he feel, the fact that he's a... Uh, in the media being portrayed as a club runner yet fighting against an elite for the top spot at that race so we get into his training a little bit but more around his mindset and how he got to be in that race in the first place so without further let's get into this all right guys thank you so much for tuning in to the one track one Talk podcast we have here special guest Ellis Cross, who uh, just came back from uh, a series of uh, very interesting races that we're going to get into. And we also have co-host here, Stephanie Twell, who's going to be coming on as a co-host for the One Track Run Talk podcast to get a whole different perspective on uh, our guests and also her experience as an elite marathon runner, elite 5K, elite 10,000 meters, elite, elite, elite. <laughs> interesting. <Yeah. laughs> We'll work on that. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for tuning in, Liz. I really appreciate your time. Uh, lovely to meet you. Yes, no, you too, you too. Like I say, thank yeah, thank you for having me on. And now I look forward, look forward to having a chat with you guys. Absolutely. Well, we can't get into like obviously one of the main reasons why you've uh, sort of been into the public eye recently. But uh, let's all get to know a little bit more about you because. Up until Vitality 10K, there was very little on Ellis Cross on the internet. Let's, uh, let's all yeah. have that out there. The uh, Power of 10 and Run Britain and all those kind of guys knew about you for a long time, but the public and uh, the wider network of running may not have heard your name. So give me a little bit of an intro about you. And I would love to know when you first got into running and what that sort of journey has been along the way and obviously about your club as well and how that's been. Yeah, so... <clears throat> Initially, I, I actually started, like, I kind of found my love for running. I was quite fortunate, actually. I think uh, the school system is, is quite an important important place for kind of finding the love for all sorts of sports. And obviously, the majority of sports, you know, they're quite easy to push in towards. Obviously, team sports, specifically being being a boy, it's like pushed towards like football. And I absolutely love football and was, was always playing it. But I was very fortunate that throughout primary school, my school also pushed... Um, cross country running being the most uh, the most important one and and we had a teacher that was quite passionate about about running as well so we were always told when there was kind of primary school um, races going on and and we loved it um, like myself and a couple of, of obviously my friends as well throughout year sort of five and six we uh, would go to the local primary school meets and at this time we were playing playing football as well for like obviously like local clubs Um but yeah, I kind of found my love there, just just in like the natural form of like racing, really, and and it was always ended up quite well because I was always quite a fit um, young young lad. I always loved like just going out to play with my friends and uh, keeping active. So I started off there really, and then as I went into secondary school, that's when I 
kind of contemplated joining joining a, a running club. Uh, and again, it kind of was was word of mouth um, from another parent actually who took their child to the the local running club, which was Tamworth Athletics Club, which uh, originally myself being from uh, the Midlands, just like from Tamworth, pretty much just outside of Birmingham. Um, we decided to go down there for a few kind of like taster sessions and see how we kind of got on with that. And uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed, really enjoyed my time uh, with Tamworth and was obviously then racing uh, slightly more competitively throughout what we call like the West Midlands, like cross country leagues and, and other other kind of meetings as well on the track, like the youth development leagues as they're, they're known now. Um and and then yeah, I, I kind of decided to give up with with other sports like football. I was playing football at a half decent level. Um, I played for Nottingham Forest uh, Academy for um for a short few, uh, few years, and then uh, decided to commit straight to to the running itself. Um, and throughout secondary uh, school, I was kind of set on um either going out to America on a scholarship because I was quite naive as well <clears throat> to to the actual sport itself. Um, and I'd heard, I was just kind of taking information I was told, really, rather than going out there and finding it myself. So people were like, oh, there's scholarships out in America to do your undergraduate degree um, and kind of be funded that way and train at a high level. And then and then I met um, Mick Woods, who's obviously my current coach, um, at a national cross-country meeting. And <clears throat> we had a conversation about, uh, obviously, St Mary's being an option here in, here in Twickenham. Um, and and that to me was just slightly more appealing because obviously it's closer closer to home as well being like one of the most important things. Obviously, going stateside, you're completely leaving everything uh, behind for those years that you do go. And obviously, the option is always there, kind of postgraduate as well. So went through secondary school and then made the decision. You know, it was either between St Mary's in Twickenham or go stateside. And at this point, I wasn't at any sort of like good good level so I wouldn't I wouldn't have been at like a, a division one um NCAA like a high standard American college so um I, I definitely made the right decision and then stayed local so decided to come to St Mary's after my A levels so when I was sort of 18 um and things kind of progressed from there um really I I gained a lot more in terms of like the knowledge both from obviously Mick and the coaches living in that environment as well living obviously with athletes in athlete accommodation at St Mary's um and 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 did did kind of progress as an athlete as well and definitely improved over that that period of time um and and definitely matured as well really which I think was the most important thing it's why I'm glad I stayed here in the UK because I think if I went to America as like a naive athlete I didn't really have too much in terms of understanding the training and like the mental side of, of things I probably would have struggled uh looking at it in hindsight um so yeah gained gained quite a lot and, and obviously very glad that I went to St Mary's and now obviously I've graduated finished at St Mary's um I did my degree in health and exercise science so yeah I was happy to happy to finish uh and then stayed around actually stayed around the area so I'm still in Teddington um at at the moment so I've been here for what would be sort of seven years now so been a while and then um yeah and I'm actually moving down to to live with live with my girlfriend in in Canterbury in Kent uh at the end of July um and hopefully going to go sort of full time, give give full time athlete a, a proper go 
uh, to see what I'm kind of capable of because post-university, it's always difficult for those sorts of people that are on like the cusp of whether you would class them as, but I guess we could call them kind of sub-elite really. Those sorts of people in that in that like transition period once they leave university because obviously you're funded quite well by student finance. I know I'd say that student finance is almost the best funding an athlete can get. But when you leave university, it's like, oh, you've got to go. Like, you're into work now. You're in, you're in like the big world. So it's kind of like got to make a living for yourself. But being at that sort of like level, it's like, do you commit? Do you go down one route and commit fully to, you know, your, your career in terms of using your degree and going full time work? Or do you go down the other route and commit into um, your craft and in, in, in running and your athletics career and see how far you can kind of take it? But I actually kind of decided to go down the middle and just try and balance both work and and training but obviously being able to do enough to compete at what would be um a good enough standard but uh that's always that's always a tricky one so for for the next year i'm going to definitely give it a go at kind of just being full-time athlete and see what i can do because the last thing i want to do is obviously retire finish uh finish running not you know with unanswered questions almost not knowing what could have been what couldn't have been if things work out great if things don't then at least I know you know and that's the best part and obviously enjoyment being being a big factor as well is because I do love do love the sport so doing it day to days you know there's nothing better really so. amazing well thank you for that I mean that's a great synopsis of uh how things can sort of progress over time and little small decisions yeah. here and there can really, really lead you into a, a pathway almost unknowingly that teacher being quite so inspiring when they got you across country, you might have come along yeah. to be football and we would never have met you in, in this, in this exactly. anyway. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I thought that was a really interesting question as well, actually, Ellis is whether um, if you'd have carried on, um, you know, following your love of football, do you reckon you'd still be physically active in a in a club environment now at this age? Yeah, well, probably not, to be honest. Probably not. It, it, it's crazy, isn't it? Like, the smallest of, like, decisions can, like, make such big impacts. But obviously, I, I always, I've always loved, like, exercise. But mm-hmm. I think if I'd gone purely down because you kind of look at things at a younger age sports anyway but you look at them as either you've got your individual sports or you've got your team sports and there's certain personalities for certain like you know disciplines I guess so obviously you're out your extroverted kind of personalities you think that they're going towards uh team sports and your more introverted personalities you think they're going to go more down the route of uh individual sports and I mean I've kind of always been like a a bit more towards like the extroverted side of personalities and being like you know quite a chatty sort of person but you know I I went into into running and and it it wasn't you know obviously it's an individual sport but it's actually very much like a social it's very much a social thing and it is you know there are a lot of guys out there like very extroverted personalities and it's not just individual and you're just you 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 and i actually that's one thing i love about the sport is it is a, a, a very social mm-hmm. thing like this morning meeting up with a load of guys for a run like there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's nothing better you know having a chat mm-hmm. and a catch up it's not necessarily just that's it you're out there on your own and stuff but obviously you take responsibility on your own uh, when it comes to kind of race day but the training around it is actually very social especially if you put yourself around the uh, the right sort of people which is great mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, I think we've got a little bit of a St. Mary's alumni thing kicking in here because well, <laughs> Steph, Steph went, uh, studied there 
I'm currently studying St. Mary's, doing an MSc, uh, and you've uh, you've just you've just graduated. So, with, with being at the EPC, because that's the endurance performance uh, side of the university, when you said it was like living with the athlete and being sort of surrounded by the athletes, how did that really influence your your focus on the sport or for it? Yeah, well, so I think I was actually quite fortunate in the sense that I, when I joined St Mary's, so I came in September of 2015, I actually came with like a cluster of, of athletes that were um, a hell of a lot better than me in terms of ability. And we, ca- I came in quite a strong year, really, for St Mary's in terms of the uh, the uptake of, of the athletes, um, bringing in, you know, like British record holders and like Matt Sherlin, uh, like national champions like Jack Crabtree, like Christian Von Eitz and like guys that, it, you know, for someone like me, having having them around is always ideal as well. And like I say, that's something that I kind of learned. I did actually learn from them within that first year of being um, at St Mary's. But also, obviously having like the coaching and the centre, having a pure focus on like your training is a, something a lot different to what I had. And I think that's why where St Mary's is great is that it is a perfect place for, in, in terms of balance of both being able to study and train at that sort of level. Obviously, living in what we call the Clive Halls, living just with purely athletes as well, is ideal in terms of uh, not having the influence of uh, people that aren't athletes. But like just living with like-minded individuals is obviously a, a very important thing and just people that are also as motivated as yourself. And as we said just then, touched on about like the social side of things, just getting like living with the people that you're training with um, is also an amazing feeling. But like I say, St Mary's does kind of work hand in hand, and they did they they always supported me and and everyone else that was at the university to be able to manage both studies and training, which is great. Once you know, as I said, come to that the end of your degree when you've got to make a decision in terms of career, and if things don't fully work out in terms of your um performance in in your sport, then you've always got something to fall back on and. And be able to make the most of as well, which is which is a great thing. Amazing. Well, just quickly pick up on one thing you said there. Is like, what did you learn from these guys that kind of they just uh, bestowed some kind of wisdom onto you around training, or was it more just the uh, the athlete lifestyle? Was it how to be an athlete? What what was the lessons that you picked up from them? Yeah, it, it was kind of like their men, their like mentality, just kind of being around them, like the way that they kind of think, and and like obviously having chats about like certain training. Because for me, I was always just like go with the flow sort of thing. Whatever was set, I would do. I never really purely like never really thought about like the physiology behind it or so or like different ways to train so like listening to the way that they thought about everything really training racing and, and obviously you I'd always seen them at like races and stuff and it's just kind of like you always think like what makes them like the athlete that so I was always intrigued what makes them the athlete that they are what makes them so good and I've always been intrigued by like performance and what makes people, you know, almost a, a touch better. And obviously I, I could have learned a lot. So I took a lot of that. And obviously the way they trained as well, how hard they trained, the, the sort of volume of training that they were doing in comparison. Um, as I was saying, because I was so naive, everything um, was kind of taken on board and kind of appreciated that really looking back at it. So true. Thank you. I think certainly going into that environment, there's certainly squad training that um, creates and improves that quality for you to be exist around. 
and certainly from everyone coming from different points around the country to then train together is a case of yeah. all following and chasing the same goals of you know the next calendar or the next race coming up that you're all on that journey together and you're going to work together to try and reach your goals so yeah, yeah it's interesting to hear that you said that you felt that you're at the back at the start when you got yeah. to some areas and now obviously you're now winning races at the front of vitality 10k and yeah but um, well, I, I think that's it it helps massively obviously like because I was always pretty much training like on my own at like club level so as you say when people are brought from all around the country to kind of train together and for me I wasn't expecting to be anywhere near the front I could kind of use them as well as a bit of a gauge in terms of how training was going and just watch my progression go from being so far off them in a certain session then a couple weeks later being slightly closer and I was slowly working my way up in terms of the group and just reeling them back in and, and that's what I always loved. Like, I remember specifically, like, the first session I actually managed to, like, stay on, like, the front group. And, like, Jacob Allen specifically, like, helping me, like, so much. I was just, like, hurting myself as much as I can just to be, like... And, and I remember, like, something as small as that, like, one session, I won't ever forget that. Because it was such, like, a big turning point in me being, like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm actually capable of, like, tra- training with these guys now. I'm not, like, kind of off them, like, running in a bit of no man's land. But having them there is, is a big thing. And you learn quite a lot from obviously the older years that are also there at St Mary's because obviously you're training as a first year as a fresher with obviously the second year third years fourth years um guys and you can take quite a lot of them because obviously they're significantly more experienced than you and and I was fortunate in that I, I had quite a lot of role models that were at the university at the time um you know as I'm sure you're aware of, like Steph like, obviously having like you guys around and um People like obviously Elliot Giles being there, Jacob Allen as well. He was my, my captain at the time. Like I was fortunate, and I had the guidance from just older students more so. I'd say they were almost more like they're more of an impact than the coaches because you'd see them day to day in kind of like social social environments. So well, you know how impressive St Mary's is, Fletch. I think you've seen it as well at the track side. You know when we've got international athletes coming to train over on the St Mary's track. You know the Australian groups. Um, a lot of um, athletes coming over represented by their agents, um, by Pace Agency over there. Um, I think I saw Usain Bolt, like, do a little bit of a warm-up shakeout <laughs> on the track at one point. Um, but I grew up um, in an athlete house there, which Mo Farah had a room in at one point, and Joe Pavey living just around the corner and, you know, seeing her warm-up on the campus loop. So I think yeah. you're right, that sort of environment breeds that sort of success to be around and being like, everyone's getting out and doing this like it's not as unachievable for me because I'm putting myself in the environment to you know kind of set up that pathway for yourself 100% 100% I think it helps like the motivation as well when you're seeing like top athletes around around you you know you're people that you're watching almost like on the tv and like diamond leagues or like big races as like a younger athlete like you're almost in, in awe of like seeing those people around um like people like you look up to and they're training around sort of like the facilities that you are as well so it helps massively it push yourself yeah definitely well i think we're like like skirting around this next subject so like we're so close to discussing what we're actually like wanting to get into the meat and bones of but what i just kind of just i, I want to highlight the coaching team around st mary's because i think it's such a massive part of athlete life that kind of it's expected, I think, and that's one thing I'd love to dig dig deep into now. And I actually want to ask Steph this, because uh, you've been trained by Mick Woods for a, a long time and as you're self-coached now, but working with Mick for a long time, someone, a new athlete going to Mick, mm-hmm. what would 
what would you say is the big difference between how he coaches and maybe how other coaches coach? Or is sometimes like a little bit of a different style that people take a bit of time getting used to? Gosh, I think the biggest perk of being coached by Mick in that environment is that he has a belief that you're going to get better <laughs> and he wants to see you get better. Like, I don't know if you can like vouch for this, Ellis, but no matter what level you are coached by with Mick, he wants to see you progress. And I think he creates this ability to create these squad group training sessions, which is almost like looking like you're starting on a park run, at, you know, at, at reps. But this is rep one of 15, say. Um, you start on the line together, no matter your level. So whether you're like the top performer running, like you say, going off to, I don't know, race in Brussels or a Diamond League, whatever, to also someone just wanting to improve their local park run. And I think Mick like really brings that, nucleus of athletes of whatever you're trying to achieve together and then you take what you can from that session and get what you can out of it so I think for me it's following sort of a similar program that everyone's on but getting quality out of it by learning to work with each other learning how, like Alice was just saying how to like you know pick someone off the back of the group or you're almost as this the group almost becomes as strong as you know the, the runner at the back that's how strong you are and I think you all move together forward if that makes sense I don't know if you can pick up on that Ellis but no, um... oh absolutely I was actually having this conversation the other day um about Mick I think that's one of the the best qualities of him and um like, I actually remember um a one time actually like in particular just being at national cross-country champs and like he's the one guy that will stay in the one field and literally wait for the last runner to come by giving them like some sort of encouragement or like enthusiasm yeah. and it, he will he will give the time of day to every single athlete like no matter what sort of ability and as they've yeah. said like he, he'll always like find a way to make them progress to to where they want to be obviously people being at different stages in terms of ability but yeah wanting to kind of progress them uh, them on and we'll still give them the time of day he would never give up on on an athlete trying to reach whatever goals that they they want but he's also very realistic in in that and um will will be very honest um with the athletes so uh i'd say that is probably his greatest quality is just like having having that time of day for for every every athlete he's got and he's got a lot of athletes and um, helps a lot of people. And he's done like so much for the sport in, in that sense. And I'm sure he's kept a lot of people in it in terms of uh, keeping them going. I think just to add on to that, Fletch, I think it's also that real focus on that aerobic base. I think Mick's a huge you know, advocate of an aerobic base um, and the different speeds across the week, but just encouraging you to have group runs. I think he never wants people to run on their own. He was always encouraging people to run together to learn how to pick up the pace a little bit. Because um, I think learning to run on your own is sometimes tougher and you might not run as efficiently or it be, might be a little bit more energy sapping running on your own than actually getting a group together, getting a few miles started rolling. And then the, the run almost takes care of, himself, of itself. And I think that's what Mick really advocates is pulling people together to get the best out of each other, which I think is a great skill and a coach to have. Yeah. No, yeah, it sounds like it's quite a rare skill to be able to sort of get other people to get on board with your plan yeah. and, and bring everyone around it. It actually becomes almost like a, a self-fulfilling plan. The athletes then take control of it almost. Yeah. No, definitely. I think it's, it's actually one thing I've noticed that has changed at St Mary's is that we always used to have like a nine o'clock run was always uh, a go-to for us as as a group. And like you would have to, you'd make sure that you were there 
you'd get a big group and you'd be like, well, this is it. And that's just like the dedication that people showed to the sport. And if you couldn't make the 9am, uh, 9am because you had lectures going on, we even had a group chat for people that were out at sort of like 7am, making sure that it was done like beforehand. And um, it, when you've got people there around you, it almost puts a little bit of responsibility on you as well. Make sure that you're there because like they help you, but you help them as well. It's like a two-way sort of thing um, in that sense as well. So having people out on a on like a steady run is, is a great thing. It's always nice as well to, to kind of catch up and like actually have people to chat to whilst you're running. <laughs> Love it. Well, I think this is a great opportunity now to kind of take it for into the like the community aspect right down and drilling into the success that can come from all this hard work that you've been doing up until this point. You stepped onto the line in the Vitality 10K and went and won it, <laughs> which is an incredible achievement. Well done. Obviously, uh, you, you. The, whole, uh, the whole country uh, loves the idea of I think the UK running has this uh, pedigree of, of supporting people throughout their journey. Uh, that's like something that I hopefully now we can see now getting into what your journey is going to become. But when you stepped onto that start line, what was running through your head? Because obviously uh, the, the media has painted it as this idea of like, oh, you paid, you paid your entry fee and you're wrapped <laughs> up and you strapped your shoes yeah. on. I'll see how it goes. Right. But what yeah. actually was going through your head? Well, I, I think obviously a lot, a lot of things, a lot of factors kind of helped the story. As you say, I had to pay my entry fee because I didn't get an elite uh, entry. Um, but it helped, it helped massively in terms of the uh, the way that it kind of went out there in, in the media. But yeah, I obviously did a block in, in Font Rameau, you know, as Steph was out there as well. And um, tra- training went up really, really well out there. But obviously this is a race that I, I've always kind of used as like, just to kickstart a track season is to start on the road before going on the track and doing something really, really quick. So it's not too much of a shock to the system in terms of hard running. So I had the conversation with Mick and we wanted to get a hard effort out anyway beforehand. And I was kind of choosing whether to do a 5k on the road or a 10k on the road. But Vitality London 10k, I, I love the event as well. Like the event is just amazing. It always kind of gives me that springboard for the rest of the track uh, season. So, my, yeah, I stood on the start, like just wanting a hard run out, really. Um, and obviously I was like five five to 10 metres uh, behind like what was essentially the elite start, but you don't you don't lose any time in, in that. And um, yeah, I was just like, let's just kind of see what happens. At the time I was like, I've come in the top 10 in that race before and I remember I was really happy with it. So, I remember thinking, I've been getting sort of like the top like six or seven, then I'd be, I'd be absolutely chuffed, um, chuffed to bits of it. But again, I didn't really know exactly what sort of shape I was in. I'd done a block at altitude, and it, I knew it went well. But you never know when you step back down to to sea level how you could completely respond because obviously you expect to get quicker and make the most of those adaptations, but you never know by how much. Uh, and obviously, was as much a surprise to myself as well. <laughs> Well, obviously, yeah, you beat the Olympic champion Mo Farah, and uh, in a post-race interview, you said that you you beat him in his pedigree race. Like you, you beat him at his sport. Like he's he's known for his ten thousand, five thousand, his kicks and his ability to push that last bit and grind out those last two reps, uh, yeah. those last two laps, eight hundred meters or whatever it might be. What point in the race were you thinking, like, I'm going to go for the front? <laughs> and well, what nice. was that a game plan? To be honest, the majority of the race, I didn't, re- I didn't want to st- like just sit there in sort of like a tactical race. Like I said, I wanted a hard 
effort that was going to like kind of hurt me to some extent anyway uh, i didn't want to do too da- too much damage and i just kind of ended up finding myself in the race but um i was kind of on the front of it i was getting a little bit of help um from other people like hugo milner was kind of pushing it on and mo hit the front a couple of times uh but like i didn't really think i was i didn't really start to think about how to win the race until sort of like 9k like really late on in, in the race to be honest yeah. with you um because i i did actually think they were gonna they were gonna drop drop me at some point and they didn't actually show it on tv but he um <clears throat> Mo did make a, a burst at like 6k, 6.5k. And it was probably, <clears throat> it was like a 200 meter burst, him and Mo Adan. <clears throat> they must have spoken about doing doing that sort of move. Uh, but it was, it was, it was a quick like 200 meters. And I didn't go with it, but I just sort of like tracked it. And that's when we kind of separated from being a group of five to being a group of three because Chris Thompson and Hugo Milner had then just slightly dropped off um, that the three of us. Um, and like I say, yeah, I didn't really start thinking about how to win the race until 9K. And I was kind of having a little like giggle to myself, like, what is going on? <laughs> Why am I here? <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> Love it. At that, at that pace and, and, and wanting to hurt yourself so much, you still had a bit of time for a giggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, yeah, I had a look over to uh, to Sam actually, who, who's a friend, but he's now managing me uh, at the moment. Um, he he came down to watch to watch the race, and uh, obviously didn't expect anything. And he was stood at nine k point, and I had a look across to him, and like just looking at him, I was just like, honestly, I nearly just started laughing. <laughs> Quite comical. So- one of the key things for, uh, I'd love to sort of get into your head with regards to that 9K point when you're like, okay, I'm going to go for it now. Yeah. You said that you were kind of half expecting them to drop you. At what point did you realize like they're not actually going to drop me or they can't drop me? What, what, what was that kind of like moment of like euphoria of like, this is it? Yeah, so I, I was obviously feeling, I was feeling very good like throughout the whole race, to be honest with you. And obviously... We'd, I think Moadan had fallen off at about like eight and a half K, give or take. And then it was just me and Mo for like the last K. Um, and to be honest, like, yeah, you're kind of expecting Mo to, to come around you. And I was, I, was, I was expecting that, honestly, until I've literally crossed the line because you just never know when it's going to come, but you're like expecting it, like it's going to happen. And I'd kind of like, as I was running down like nine K, I was like, I think I've got second here, but I might as well be like go, I might as well give it a good go, see what I can do. And it's quite weird because I, I remember the, the the actual race tactics I went with is something that I actually learned from from Mo, and I, I'm pretty sure I'd learned it from. I don't know whether he was on like a TV. I don't know if he was on like maybe like the Jonathan Ross show or it was one of those. It was one of Maybe. those like sofa shows talking about like race tactics and literally making notes. Yeah, and I remember him saying something about like. Like the best way to to win a race, literally, is just to make sure that you're on the inside on like the final corner to make them have to go further. And I knew that we were coming up to like a final corner, and and I remember it being fairly close to the finish. Like you come around that corner, and the finish is almost like just there. And I remember just thinking to myself, look, as long as I get myself there or thereabouts in like in front of him on the corner, then we're going to be absolutely fine. And I got there in first, and I was like. You know, you're expecting him to be there first yeah. because that's the tactic he's always used. Uh, I just knew as soon as I come off the bend, like as long as I can kick my life. And honestly, that last like 50 meters or whatever it was, 
I thought I was just running for my life, to be honest. <laughs> it certainly looked that way from your friend's uh, Instagram posts of yeah. just seeing you get to that corner first and just Literally. absolutely ragging it to the line and almost that disbelief yeah. of being like, do I go? Is he going to respond again? Or what, yeah. do I, what do I do? And it's almost like in those microseconds, you're like, I've just got to go. <laughs> Literally. No, genuinely, I was at that point when I turned the corner, I just like, almost turned into like a headless chicken. I was like, literally, just sprint for your life. Just sprint for your life. Like everything else goes out the window. You're not. There's no like thinking. It's, you just got. You just got to do it. And I think the interesting thing for me is afterwards, I did read. Even Mo said in to an interview, I said, um, I didn't have a change of speed. So you've got to take that one on on your your belt there. Yeah. And if, you know, you have got that change of speed, and you can use it when you need to use it as well. Yeah. Um, it's brilliant so yeah definitely I think the other thing is obviously when you're racing obviously Mo it's like you, you almost you do almost find a little bit extra like people people do when they're trying to when you're in a race like that and when the streets are like filled like the atmosphere yeah. was like unbelievable on the day and obviously Mo was getting so much support and there's loads of people out there as well to watch him he brought yeah. the majority of the crowds as a person yeah. um and it's like when you're there with him, it's just like you, you you'd love to do it like just like cause a bit of an upset where like the favorite doesn't win so i was just like oh my gosh i've got to do it and i definitely felt it after the race you, yeah. when you're in the race you're just like just going with it like the atmosphere just carries you through whatever whatever it is that you need to do um but yeah i, I couldn't i couldn't believe it like when i crossed the line it was obviously a massive shock to to everyone really i think what's yeah i mean there's Sorry, Fletch, go on. Oh, no, no, please, please go for it. I was going to say, what's even better than that is you're saying, you know, it was a hard effort and that you're, you were planning that this is something as part of, um, you know, the next goal was really the track. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of runners can like relate to is that sometimes not over-focusing on that goal and sometimes you end up with a PB or sometimes yeah. you end up with some of your better races when you're yeah, not yeah. used to focusing yeah. on them and you're saying like you're in the race. You're actually focusing yeah. on the race itself rather than exactly. necessarily the Exactly. Well, I think obviously that was the other thing is I, obviously I wasn't wearing my watch. I, I didn't actually want, to, I didn't want to run to pace. I, honestly, yeah. I, I, I reckon if I'd worn my watch, I probably wouldn't have been able to pull out that performance because if my watch had beat through like the mile splits. Yeah. That's what I might have panicked and been like, I need to ease off this pace because this is not a sort of pace or territory I should be running or monitoring at, at, the, at that time. Wow, so it's yeah. kind of like, uh, that might have hindered me. And, but the, the thing yeah. is like, going back to literally why I started running is because of like just competing. I'm quite a competitive yeah. guy anyway. And just the natural form of racing is like, that is a beautiful part of it rather than us all being stuck to our watches, trying to chase times, I love being that. able to race people that brings a bit of excitement. And I think, you know, it was an exciting race. Absolutely, You made it. But... That's incredible. That's intuition. That feel is so important, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to do with cycling, isn't it? They're trying to remove parameters and uh, and yeah. technology throughout the like, Tour de France. I've become basically becomes athletes watching their tech rather than watching the race. Literally, yeah. But I also think that for for me anyway, I, I actually perform better when I'm not watching the clock. Like I said, if I'd worn the watch, it might have held me back. And it sometimes happens to me on the track when I look at times. It can make your head go almost. Whereas if you're in a race and you you don't know what pace you're moving at. So you can surprise yourself you can definitely surprise yourself yeah not capping that boundary or that limit you know yeah yeah i think that's really important that, exactly yeah it, it doesn't doesn't put a limit on yourself does it you just kind of like do what you can to try and like win a race or come a certain position in a race which is is the beauty of the sport really 
Love it. Amazing. Well, just to kind of like unpick uh, your, your journey between that race and then your previous Vitality, which is in 2019, right? You ran just uh, 30 minutes in change yeah. uh, for that one. Yeah. Um, what what was your strategy from one year to the next? Because it was during a pandemic. Like you literally yeah. finished that 10K race and then the following <laughs> a block yeah. of, of decent training would have been during the pandemic. So how was the pandemic for you? What happened during it? How was training in it? And so on. Yeah, so, um, so I actually based myself um, down in Canterbury at, at my girlfriend's family house for that period of time. And I think, obviously, with there being no races, it's obviously a lot difficult to get out there and sort of, like, motivate yourself. And I think the pandemic, like, really has, like, opened things up in terms of the sport because it's kind of shown those people that, like, worked really hard throughout the pandemic. And obviously, I'm sure we probably lost a lot of people to the sport as well throughout that time because people had a lot of time to kind of think. And uh, obviously, with there not being races, people didn't really have that much reason to go out there and work to a certain level and it was always always quite a difficult one because when I was going out training it was kind of like how hard do I work is there going to be a race in the next like couple of weeks months or whatever or not so for me I, I, I gave it you know you can always set yourself things like time trials and stuff but that's something again like I say it's not something that I really enjoy is running to like a clock and see where I'm at so I just kind of like carried on carried on my normal thing and just in the hope that a race would just kind of kind of come up and I'm pretty sure like throughout the pandemic uh I, yeah I did Ardingly 5k that was the first one that I managed to do and that turned out to be um like just a really good race and and obviously I won that which gave me a lot of motivation as well that and gave me a lot of satisfaction at the sense that things were were working and it gave me a purpose as well to carry on training as hard as I could but the other thing is when you've got a lot of time as well I managed to invest a lot of time into the sport so I was also doing the one percent so I was going to the I was, I was in the garden essentially doing gym work just like core and using my time because there's nothing else for me to do so I was actually doing more in terms of volume of running and more in terms of like filling the gaps as well the one percent as I say the strength and conditioning the, the prehabs and and everything in between um, amazing well it's uh well done for keeping that. Yeah. I think we've, uh, we spoke about this before the pandemic had such different effects on people, depending on what the situation was, whether they were yeah. isolated with their loved ones and so on. We, I know oh. a couple of ath- athletes who were pretty much in their house the whole time because they were having to uh, shield people and so yeah. on. So I think you're right. I think it had no. uh, it definitely lost people to the sport. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think it has, but I think it also, it's actually gained quite a lot as well to the sport mm. because I mean, having worked in, in up and running uh, in, in our Surbiton branch, when we reopened, honestly, the amount of people that we had coming in, it was crazy. And from what I gathered from kind of speaking from uh, like customer to customer is that obviously people had to fill their time. And it was one thing that we were recommended to go out and do. So one thing the government allowed us to do was go out and get our one hour's exercise or what or what have you. And people actually found a bit of a love for running because, you know, running's not just it's not just good for physical health. But like it's very good for mental health as well. It gives people time to go out there and think. And uh, I think a lot of people, at like especially the entry level, kind of picked it up. Not necessarily racing, but I know a lot of people that have picked it up within like the pandemic. Just started running and now are looking to get into kind of races, which is which is great. You know, I think we've actually seen a massive takeoff from from like the lower ends, but maybe a dip off at the at the top end. But yeah. 
Now we, we see a lot of runners over this period and the famous saying was like, I hate running. It's like, no, you don't hate running. It's like, you don't hate chairs. You don't hate like inanimate objects. You can't hate certain sports. Like you might not like it, but most of the time it's down to the fact they don't like the idea of it. And then actually when they try and get out there and realize if they just slow down a little bit or just make it a little bit easier on themselves, yeah. actually the brain just starts to change its thoughts around excitement. actually become easier. Like, oh, it's not this thing trying to attack me. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually very, very exactly. comfortable and actually one of the only sports we've evolved to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think over time it, it, it gets easier as well. <laughs> like I had loads of people like like the the entry level that were kind of like, oh my gosh, like it's so, so hard. Like How would you do it? It's like, honestly it becomes easier as obviously the body adapts at kind of all levels it does you, you become you actually turn to enjoy it and like the fitter you are i find the just the easier it is as well <laughs> and... so speaking of fitness then at the moment ran a pb so i would suggest probably in your prime <laughs> where are we going what, what's what's ellis got coming up i know uh, steph's got loads of questions around uh what she'd love to ask you there but what's what's coming up for you so um, the plans initially uh, are, so this weekend I'm going to do the British Champs, uh, British Champs 5K uh, on Sunday. But I, I think I, I do kind of see my potential being on the road. Um, and I think that transition could happen um, so, sooner rather than later, if anything. I don't know how much I'm meant to say, but um, I'll, I'll be doing my, I'm going to do, agree to do my first half marathon Um in September, so I'm going to do the big half. That's going to be my debut. Uh, the plan is to hopefully get back out to Font Romeau uh, in August and come back and do something similar to what I did at Vitality, just over the half marathon. <laughs> so I did have a conversation with Mick actually after Vitality, and I was a bit like, oh, I kind of wish it was a half marathon. I would have liked to have seen how I'd have gone over that distance on that day. So uh, hopefully replicate that sort of performance and do something at the um, the big half start of September. And then, um, yeah, there's a potential. Potential, I might be pacing uh, London Marathon uh, as well. So um, it'd be good to get some some experience, uh, even if I just kind of go to to halfway or wherever wherever it is that they'd be looking for me to go. Uh, in obviously start of October, it'd be good to get that kind of atmosphere and the experience before obviously I make the move up to the marathon um, eventually. But I definitely see my potential being being on the roads. So I, I, think i'm just a little bit like stronger over those longer distances um where, whereas the track i mean as i said a lot of our training with mick it's very kind of like aerobic stuff and the the turnover i don't i mean my, my finish is always decent but um there's, there's a lot of guys out there as well that are a lot quicker over those shorter distances so i see myself being on the roads um sort of from like september october uh so that's that's like the plan going forward to get british champs five five thousand meters done this weekend um and i might fill the end of my season with a couple of uh couple of other track races but then the, the focus is going to switch to the road and i'll debut my half marathon september so. Exclusive. <laughs> yeah, big exclusive i think it's exciting that you are moving to the roads i think you've got to see that natural cadence and you can carry that speed in that you still have for the track, Ellis. I think you're yeah. probably doing yourself a disservice there. You know, you just ran one in Paris and like yeah. in style there as well. Yeah. Um, so which one do you think has its place more? Obviously the road now may be more towards your career, but what do you think will support those performances that, you know, obviously have already supported Vitality and now you're looking for a big one in the big half? Where does cross country or track have its place to help you on that road? Yeah, I think... <laughs> 
you see, because I, I, I love cross country as well. Again, it's a very mm. natural form of, of, of running, but oh, just a struggle when it, with the sort of winters <laughs> that we've had, these kind of bog fest races, <laughs> I really struggle with them to kind of yeah. like just move through the mud. I don't know yeah. why I never struggled with it when I was a junior, but as a senior, I think I a lot of people become a lot stronger. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I will look to do uh, cross country sort of like the November up to December and then probably change in like towards like the new year. Probably mm-hmm. won't do it post Christmas anyway. Um, but I need to sit down and look at that sort of focus. I mean, I'll probably run Liverpool. I'll probably run the, the Euro trial. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And see, see kind of what I can do, can do again, because um again obviously performances have, have gone up so i feel like my mobility has kind of like shifted a touch but um uh kind of see what i can do over the cross country uh for yeah euro cross trials yeah. around making that team but then obviously the track I, I still want to do some bits bits on the track like especially like next season i do still think i can go a lot quicker over like a five thousand meters and like ten thousand meters um i think that vitality i actually think that it probably, in hindsight, actually uh, did damage the legs a little bit leading into Highgate because, like I say, I don't, I didn't realise how how hard I was working, mm-hmm. um, but I definitely worked obviously harder than what I probably imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I, I still want to try and like keep doing all three, and it's just kind of like yeah. finding the right sort of like focus and what what to do. It's always difficult, isn't it? I don't know whether you found that stuff because obviously you're very good as well over all, all three disciplines as well yeah I think you're right I think um I think you have to keep in touch with each of them but I'm really pleased to hear you say that you're interested in still thinking that you can move to the roads but still run faster at the shorter distances and I think that's really important to think that actually that volume and that base work you'll do is still going to support your speed system as well yeah. um and like you say I think there's different angles of different athletes coming from that cross-country sort of um steadier state aerobic base into the longer distances or whether you carry that speed over into the road so it's either like that track to road or cross country to road avenue that I think there are options there um but yeah I certainly think that traditionally people certainly for the marathon think that a classic marathon is you know focusing entirely on the road the sort of Callum Hawkins sort of of the world you know um but I see more and more like in America how we have that sort of more transition between the track 10k performances that then yeah. replicate what you can run over half and the marathon and yeah. keeping in touch with that speed that you need for hopefully championship races to like you do deliver a race situation rather than just focusing on time so um yeah i i agree massively i, I think obviously making that like step up on like the roads whether it be half marathon or or marathon specifically i think it, it's quite easy to get like caught up in a trap of just doing yeah. that specific work and I think that obviously can hinder people mm-hmm. in kind of that that quicker stuff they almost like let go of their like fast twitch yes. fibers to a certain extent and just go into that slow twitch aerobic stuff where it's not like a complete change of pace so then okay, it becomes yeah. difficult when you are like you say in a race situation to go with a change of pace because all the training load is mainly kind of like set the same pace sort of thing yeah. getting used to it which you do need in a marathon but it's also nice isn't it to have that little turn of pace yeah, having, yeah. 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 Well. Brilliant. um but again yeah it's, it's always nice I, i'm quite a big believer in like obviously doing doing training sessions and working at a faster pace than what you would be doing in a race anyway because obviously when you step back down to the race <laughs> it becomes a little bit easier like both mentally and physically as well so and and again it's nice to mix it up isn't it in terms of like doing the training 
for Definitely a lot of need that stimulus switch up. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's yeah. nice to mix up what you're doing in terms of like your training load and where it, where it's all coming from as well. Amazing. Well, I think there's a, a nice moment to talk about this, like train distribution, training management, switching up your training, fitting your training in because you work uh, in um, a running shop uh, and full-time hours part-time hours work out with that and how do you balance all your training on top of that yeah so well i actually have well two jobs essentially so i work both i try and fill at least on my, my monday to friday it was uh filled so is what i did is um obviously i knew the manager so dan chief and he and again up and running have been very forgiving as well both my employers so working for up and running the service and branch and working uh, well coaching in local primary schools for real runners with Kevin Quinn um that they've both been very good in, as as like employers as well to kind of help me um so I'd, I'd usually fill my time up with um a Monday Wednesday and Friday so what I'd class as like my steady run sort of days being being in the shop working and I can do my training before and after or just before or just after um and then on a Tuesday and a Thursday, I would go into local primary schools, but that's essentially, it's an extracurricular um, athletics club that we coach after school. So I would, you know, I don't need to be over there coaching until sort of three o'clock. So that means I can do my training sessions with people at a normal sort of time in the morning at like a 10 o'clock um, meet, which uh, always, always helps because obviously the training sessions themselves uh, are, are more important than, than the runs. I can always find time to fit, running whenever um but with a session it's a little bit harder to kind of like balance it and and get out and get make sure you get enough quality in as well that, that you would actually need so um yeah just kind of like being able to manage it that way so i'm probably doing in total maybe like 35 30 to 35 hours of total work a week so nothing crazy and nothing like too strenuous but um obviously balancing it with obviously running and athletics and trying to maintain a decent enough workload to compete with obviously the seniors that we've got especially in Britain that are full-time athletes then it, it does become a little bit more difficult uh, from that point of view but it took me a bit of time to find my feet and get into like a bit of a routine I definitely struggled initially but once you get used to it again it's a, just adaptation it's like kind of um finding your feet a little bit with with that and I found the right sort of balance and what would work best on on certain days really and that's what helps help me crucially. So Ellis you mentioned earlier that you are interested if you can get the opportunity to look at taking your running to the next level and it seems to me that you're interested in this idea of going a bit more full-time to invest even more into your time training or adding resources to your running but what I'm interested in what what will you take with you from what you know now as an athlete that you're very balanced in your lifestyle and what you're doing with coaching and working what do you think you would probably carry that into that professional lifestyle and what what differences do you want to see as well yeah to, to be honest I would I basically is what I would look to do is try and invest the time that I would have been working in in like working towards our sport basically so just literally change the times over and make sure that throughout the day I'm doing things and putting things in place that are going to help help me to progress as an athlete but I, I will definitely find something to to kind of keep me busy in in terms of I'm sure I probably won't stop work like completely I will find something to to do because I do I do like to have some form of like routine rather than just mm. doing 
nothing and obviously I don't want it to be too intense like quite like a laid-back guy um I don't want to be completely like every single every minute of the day thinking about what do I need to do in terms of that and just burn myself out a little bit mentally in that sense but um I mean I think it's definitely helps helped me like doing this these few years um working but again I think I have struggled again like throughout university you're almost a full-time athlete and I think I performed very well in that environment so Mm -hmm. I haven't seen the performances sort of that I was performing whilst I was at university and I had the student finance funding behind me and I had that flexibility and not having to like work really it was like a bit bit easier to balance as in comparison to working and running um so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that goes now I've matured as an athlete and obviously become a little bit older to see um if, if that's the sort of thing that works myself it's more the first year especially it's just going to be kind of like giving it a go and seeing what works mm-hmm. again finding my feet in, in a new environment because I'm moving to somewhere to live somewhere that's um new to myself and um and, and just kind of see how that first year goes but um yeah, I'm hoping something comes in in sort of like the like September sort of time in terms of like uh, partnering up with a brand and signing a form of sponsorship deal, which is always always ideal as well. I think you're right, Alice. I think it's it's the training, but also having that time of just focusing that energy. So it might be recovering, it might be you know just being better organised at knowing what your calendar's looking, that admin's taken care of. It's those yeah. sort of things that just allow you to focus a little bit more on investing into those performances and yeah, having definitely. time away without having to negotiate with your manager. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, exactly. But it's it's mainly it eases off the stress, doesn't it? Because it, even if like you know, even if like physically, like physically the work's not stressful, but like just thinking about it, knowing oh, I've got to be here at this sort of time, I need to be there at that sort of time. Is, is a bit bit more of like a stress because it's just something on your mind, isn't it? When you've got to think about, right, when am I going to train? When am I going to go for a run? Who am I going to meet? Who do I need to message to do that? And then it all becomes quite a lot. It adds up. It does. It really does. You're right. There's a really interesting science uh, project that came out of Kent University of a guy called Samuel Makora. And it was basically this idea of mental challenge influencing BO2 Max. And so basically when you, they put them through a sort of Stroop test. So uh, Stroop test, basically you see the word red flash up, but it's written in blue and you've got to select blue. So you're basically challenging your natural reflexes. So decision-making, rationalization, that kind of stuff. And it actually had a massive impact on their ability to do a time trial um, on the bike. So they're, they're, what, what, you can't, what you're going on with there is that that mental decision-making and tiredness really does influence physical mm-hmm. performance. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's the big difference for what you're looking to achieve really is to sort of siphon off the mental organizational skills and focus really on the physiology? And that's your definite, that's a definition of a full-time athlete. Cause what I'm kind of alluding to here is like you've been labeled as a club runner uh, and Mo was an elite runner, but actually you're training like an elite. Yeah. What's the difference really for you between a club runner and an elite runner? Well, I think, yeah, well, especially, like, obviously the comparison to me and Mo is obviously I work from day to day. And, and like I say, it's it's like there's a stress. Like, there, that, there have been a, a fair few times where, like, I'd get back from work and, like, it would just be, like, a different day to, to another and I would just be too tired and I would just take a rest day from here or there. Um, whereas, like, had I not had work that day, then I think, obviously, 
I would have been able to get out and, and get a run done because it's a lot more difficult as well. I, I found it a lot more difficult throughout the winter months when obviously it gets dark. It's dark when you wake up and it's kind of dark when I get back from work. So it's like, feels like your days have a lot shorter. And, you know, when you've just finished like an eight hour shift, eight, nine hour shift and you come back and it's like heavy rain, it's freezing cold and it's pitch black. It's like the last thing, it's always the last thing you want to do. You want to get back and just kind of like chill out and, eat dinner and stuff um so yeah it's, it's kind of having the time of the day and just being able to have that flexibility of when when you want to do it really it's mainly i think the mental side as opposed to like the physical side because i I've never like never caused any sort of like fatigue uh, physically it was more just like the mental like the stress mm. of that just ha- just knowing that you had to be there like certain times and just figuring it out whereas being like obviously a full-time elite athlete you can kind of have that flexibility of as and when what whatever whatever works for yourself really that flexibility I think it's a really nice way of looking at it actually Alyssa I think it's really true it's like having that choice and that freedom of you know getting the work done in the way that you need to get it done Um, so making adaptations to try and get the best out of yourself to have that ability to deliver that Um, but you know it's also just stepping away a little bit from that label of actually, you know, you are what you are doing working already right now is incredible. And maybe you're super, super elite because you're working and delivering. (laughs) And, you know, I said that when I was in the teaching world, you know, I was saying that the teachers were like literally doing a marathon every day, (laughs) like you know, teaching every day back to back. It was relentless and it was incredible. And they were still, you know, some of them going to the gym after or having, you know, their passions outside of it. So I think just remember that, that you are doing incredible, you know, things now as you are and like like Fletcher's saying as you are training at that sort of level that high level where you've invested in your time and your energy maybe you're a little bit more constrained with that resource but you're absolutely you know yeah you know, better yourself I think which definitely can. definitely uh and like I say yeah I'm not saying the, the work that I do is definitely not strenuous and in comparison to a lot of other athletes there are a hell of a lot of athletes out there that work extremely hard in both for their running and, and for their actual careers, their jobs. People have got a lot more stressful jobs and a lot more stresses going on uh, in comparison to myself. But I think it's difficult for a lot of people, um, you know, def- yeah. definitely. I think you've got to give it a go, haven't you? I think I've heard yeah. the saying before that it says, um, you're a long time retired after you can't do what you can do with your body. So um, I really like that saying and I hold on to that. So yeah, you've got to go for it and grab it with both hands. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Like I said at the start, it's kind of like, you know, you, you don't want to leave with any unanswered questions like what if. Uh, I'd never be like that. You, you want to make sure you yeah. try and fulfil whatever potential you've got. And that can be kind of, to any ability really everyone wants to try and do the best that they can to before they finish for sure love it but just to get into the sort of the, the business side of it, actually because obviously you mentioned that you're looking to get signed by a, uh, a sponsor at some point uh with regards to steph and her experience your experience what's the business side of of being a brand ambassador are, are there expectations and you've got to be doing certain things and like how does that play into basically almost taking on a job right in some ways yeah i, I mean it is it, it's kind of like the dream though because it, it, again it's something it's something that you love and th- there's not like massive kind of expectations there's a bit more stress in terms of like obviously the racing because your performances you feel like you are kind of uh watched a, a lot more and obviously you've got people that are kind of relying on on you to kind of perform for for that brand 
but kind of outside of that you know all the other things i absolutely love like doing like the appearances and stuff for the brands like i absolutely love i can talk for england so i was more than happy to go and do that for them but um and then obviously a social media which is is a big part actually of the sport now especially for kind of to pick people up and um something i've definitely got to work on because i kind of gained a good like four or five thousand followers from that that race at vitality so i've got to try and got to try and keep people happy and and entertained at the same time um <laughs> but you know when, when they're kind of supporting you you're kind of happy to do anything because you're so grateful for it in a sport that's like severely underfunded especially um to feel like you're kind of like chosen by by rand is, is is a nice feeling um because you know that there's a lot of people out there that are working hard as well that reminds me of a conversation we had actually Alice, on the way back from the european club championships together we sat next to each other on the plane and we were talking about what does the sport need can you remember i don't know and yeah. you asked me the question and i think we spoke heavily yeah. about coach investment yeah definitely um, and certainly how i think not as many coaches are well paid um to then help people get better I know that's something that I was very passionate about and what are your thoughts on what the sport needs is it more personalities is it more media coverage is it more funding to grassroots club level to to make it through to that professional pathway or is it coaching what's you know what do you think I I, I think like I say I think the hard the hardest part is kind of that like post-university like Mm -hmm. transition that that the funding from there going from university into like workplace yeah. there's like nothing nothing there really in terms of support like you either you sign for a, a brand as a professional deal and you're you're good to go or you go straight into work and it's a big shock to people um initially but i i think personally i think things like obviously the new balance manchester set up if you mm-hmm. have if we had more of those dotted Special around groups. the country Mm-hmm. what you know what what could happen with a, a good cluster of athletes that could, could go there and, and and again like we say similar to like St Mary's people coming from all around the country to kind of be based at a certain place and and kind of train and work as hard together also helps push push each other but yeah for sure it, it's it's such a difficult one and it's like it's so frustrating as well that mm-hmm. how kind of undervalued like the sport is but it's just kind of like getting it to be pushed out there as well um it's it's a, it's a tricky one it yeah is. i like the idea of having more professional clubs and just that being in the environment but i wonder if we can recreate that more and more nowadays ourselves that it's just a bit of a smokescreen sometimes yeah. of feeling like actually I, i'm just being part of something but actually everyone's getting out of the door and they're doing it in some way but it's just how we always compare and contrast and i think with social media we're very easy to compare and contrast yeah. um and I also think you're absolutely right. Those sort of junior years, if you're at an entry level in the sport, you come at it from a younger age, you're right. Those sort of um, transitional years throughout, if you do choose education, are actually heavily supported. But actually, it's harder as a more senior athlete um, and almost an ageing athlete, you know. And I think we're very quick to put, you know, windows on when people can perform and actually I think we can see Elliot Kipchoge for example getting a world record at the age of 41 like there are sustainable ways to be better at your sport for longer but it's just finding out what ways you can access that in your life and and what you want out of your life as well so I think yeah oh massively yeah (laughs) no definitely no I agree I agree 
completely. And I think this is one reason why I've tried to kind of like make the most out of this uh, this victory against Mo and just try and make yeah. some, form, some form of like funding for myself because, uh, again, it's tricky to receive anything from the sport but it's so frustrating because we have to, you have to work extremely extremely hard mm. in sport like it's obviously easy for us to say because we're we're in the sport but I think it is one of the toughest sports out there yeah. and uh, you know the sort of return the return is quite lax in terms of return and I think that's probably why we get such high kind of dropout rates as well Mm. Um, it's a long-term investment isn't it and also I feel very much like um we we cap ourselves you know with the free A's for example certainly in England is you know not having enough sponsorship not allowing to brand ourselves as athletes we have to you know limit ourselves to having only one or two sponsors on your vest because of certain um brand requirements um so I think that's something that something like the Super League of the Triathlon do really well is they can have multiple sponsors and you know breaking down that barrier of saying I can be professional. There are, you know, local companies or partners that are interested in following my local town runner, my local club runner. Yeah, um, sure. I think there's definitely more ways that we can do that, but we need to be able to broadcast that and return revenue. Then um, 100%. I think obviously having personalities as well is good. So people can, again, kind of invest in like a personality of mm-hmm. actually get to know someone. And then, when you're watching them, you know, compete, you, you know, you know who you're watching, you know, you can kind of buy into their like story almost like mm-hmm. buy into the background as opposed to just mm-hmm. their ability. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think personality is a key, but I feel what's really interesting is because we're not a transient sport, but we're not that team sport. Are we like basketball where you follow every weekend, that same team of coming on the pitch or you know you can't necessarily get to know the player as well because sometimes athletes don't even know what races they're going to the next week or so you know it's only in marathons I think that's quite nice because you've definitely got a long-term plan but certainly if you've got an agent on the track and field it's more of a case of can I get into that race next week I don't know I can't tell my followers because I'm not sure if I'm going to be in that race next week yeah a hundred percent I think I think the sport does kind of lack structure Mm. in like there's some races that go on that I, I just I don't under, I don't understand them. I don't know what they are, or what they kind of or what they kind of mean. Like they're hard to it's hard to follow. There's no like mm-hmm. sort of like league following so to speak within like certain seasons other than like the Diamond League and and it's all a little bit wishy washy in that sort of sense as yeah, well. I think we can be better at promoting our athletes for sure. Yeah. And you know encouraging templates or ways to get out and you know share things about yourself but I do think social media is that and that's where people become their own journalist in a way as well and I think that is a real plus of social media is because you know yeah. people can contact people in their message box and ask what's happening or follow what they've been doing in training like you yeah. know I saw pictures of you out in front of me I can I can follow that so yeah. um yeah it's about yeah getting to know people I think a bit better and knowing to sharing oversharing a little bit what you're doing I guess yeah 100% no I agree with that Completely. That was the that was the social media tagline was just overshare. <laughs> Where's going? This is my lunch. This is my breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Ellis, a thought's just sprung into my head. Like you're you're going on about this journey and you're wanting to push it. Obviously, I'm assuming Olympics is on the horizon with like what you're aiming towards. The conversation around doping comes up a lot, especially. Uh, probably more recently with what happened to like Oregon project and stuff like that. What, what, how's, how's your life revolving around working as hard as you can around the sport 
and keeping it, I'm hopefully assuming, as clean as you can around all the stuff that could be used to enhance your performance to compete at that level. Walking onto a start line with people that may be actually using something to help their, uh, their performance. Yeah, I think for me, I, I mean, fortunately, but well, I'd, I'd never stand there on a start line and think that like I'm sort of racing someone that have, uh, that I'm cheating. I think it's quite a negative way of, uh, for, for me to anyway, look at it. You can only race who's kind of there on the day and you'd like to think that your governing body or your your anti-doping agencies are going to deal with any any issues that are are caused and you kind of put your trust into them and that's kind of why they're there so if they're letting down you know if they're not finding these things they're they're letting down a hell of a lot of uh, athletes as well and and you know hindering them quite significantly it can take away prize money and and all sorts really um so i mean i've not really i don't think i've raced many people really that i i would question to be at that sort of uh like to be in that gray area anyway of um of being a doper so to speak but obviously it's horrible horrible to look at and obviously everyone's got their views on like certain people and and questioning uh what goes on but obviously there's a lot of questions around like nike supported um like training groups especially especially after like oregon project that all came out it's it's all a little bit dodgy and obviously yeah they've got obviously the shelby hulahan situation as well at the moment so as an athlete it's, it's you know it's horrible it's horrible to see i think things need to become a little bit more tight but i think obviously we do see it especially in kind of like the eastern africans especially because for them like running to get any sort of like financial gain it's kind of like do or die almost so a lot of those, they are willing to do at literally anything at all, win at all costs sort of mentality. So I think that's the reason we do see it. But um, yeah, I'd like to think that the majority of people that we've got at the moment in, in the in the sport, if not all, are clean. So I like to try and have as positive outlook on it as possible because I think if I just thought that, then it, it, I think it would hinder my performances quite significantly because I'd just be losing sleep over it really when there's not much really you can do and as I say you'd expect your anti-doping agencies to to deal with that for you yeah great answer Ellis I think already as well it just shows it's a psychological disadvantage to even think about it as well and a psychological advantage for people that are doping um, and for athletes who are clean so it's really challenging out there but you know from uh, my experience in the sport I also think I often question about um, the environments people are in and how they're influenced to get to that point and whether it's mental health issues and whether it's that it is down to the water code the athlete's responsibility of what they take in but equally I can imagine that there's got to be people with more knowledge or more not education but some sort of um, strategy to seek out these ways that um, are looking to have performance edges over others which is just so unfair um, so I think it is also that environment that can create that that potential to happen, which is a shame. Yeah, uh, I think I think obviously a lot of it usually comes down to sort of like one or one or two individuals, and it can end up influencing a whole group of them, as as we see with someone like Alberto Salazar. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow they kind of manipulate their mm-hmm. thing on onto others, but again, it's it's difficult because it's kind of like it's almost like a, an abusive sort of uh, relationship, really, because you can't like it's difficult for people to get out of it. You know, if they say no, well, that's it. There goes all your funding, and it's like it's quite a horrible, horrible position to be in, especially for like those athletes. Um, but again, you'd like to think that nobody would touch it because like that completely ruins you know the whole beauty of of sport in general. 
I don't think those athletes who do could really enjoy winning. I really don't. No, but definitely not. Truly. Satisfaction wouldn't be the same. Truly. Definitely not. Yeah. No. It's interesting. I, I, you know the psychology. Massively. Thank you so much. I think uh, we could carry on for I think hours. Uh, like you, we can also talk for England as well. <laughs> I think that'll be a whole. Uh, we can do a, a, a marathon one day on just the, the chatting side of things. Mm-hmm. But thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to to come in and chat to us about your history, your uh, sort of route to get to where you're going, what you're looking at taking on, and how you're looking at progressing on. Obviously. I wish you the best of luck and I'm sure, I know Steph wishes you the best of luck as well. Really? You guys are going to be uh, mixing in the different training sessions and probably going back out to font at some point, I'm sure anyway. So uh, yeah. it'd be, it's going to be very exciting to see how your career, uh, both maybe in running and maybe even after running progresses and how it kind of works for hopefully you want it to work out with. No, that's brilliant. No, thank you. Thank you so much. No, I really appreciate it. And like, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's uh it's great to kind of get it out there, you know. Again, like we say, the stories, the personality. It's uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Appreciate you uh, taking the time. To have me on. No worries. I love the kind of asking one question. Ellis, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, let's go. Let's go. I think one question I like to ask people because we uh, we just interviewed Gary Martin, who's one of the high schoolers, to break the four minute mile. Um, yeah. And we're like, what advice would you have for someone, maybe in your position pre? Uh, St. Mary, so pre-university age, who was kind of like seeing, like doing some things, getting some successes, or at least really enjoying the sport. What would be your advice to that person who maybe wants to look at you and go, I think I can do that? I, so for me, it would just to be kind of like stay relaxed about like the whole the whole sport in general and don't get too caught up in it. And as you say, like enjoyment, enjoyment's the most important important thing. Um, I think obviously you, you have a lot, you do have a long career ahead. There's no need to kind of push everything in terms of like the training volume and intensity at sort of a, a young age, especially. Um, so I'd say in that sort of um, in that side of things is just kind of progress it gradually um over time because you know we can mature as you said with like Elliot Kipchoge still performing at like almost a peak performance uh into like 40s um you've got you've got a long career ahead of you make sure you enjoy it especially at kind of like a younger age and I think that helps performance significantly as well um when you're enjoying it especially not just the sport but like the process of like all the training and, and the racing and and finding you know dipping your toe in the water a bit of all all sorts of like events and finding finding which ones you do enjoy the most uh especially at that sort of age that would be crucial love it thank you very much again i really appreciate your time and thank you steph for coming on our host today <laughs> thanks for inviting thanks alice see you guys thank soon you. Alright guys, thank you so much for tuning in for that episode of the One Track Run Talk podcast. We really appreciate you jumping in and listening in. If you're on Spotify or Apple, please let us know. Or if you're in the website, you do get to hear these things first. So uh, if you do want to go and see what we do, it is onetrack.club on the website, uh, which is in the show notes. But also if you want to hear more about what we're doing, then please feel free to drop us an email at hello at onetrack.club or drop us a note through the app in the coach chat or even on the website in the chat function. Look forward to hearing from you soon, guys. Bye.